Waiheke, can you dig it? Kia ora, I'm Chris and I'm a keen veggie gardener, but I'm just a novice. So I've decided to talk to locals who have greener thumbs than me to see what I can learn about composting, raising seeds, sowing and getting a bumper crop of fruit and veg. Brought to you by Waiheke Radio, your community radio station. This is Can You Dig It? Kia ora, welcome to another episode of Waiheke, Can You Dig It? In this episode I talk to local market gardener Wyatt Dooley from Revival Market Garden. You may have seen him at the Ostend Market on Saturdays selling his microgreens and other vegetables. I talked with Wyatt about his transition from home gardener to market gardener and what he's learned as a commercial grower that's applicable to home gardening. I bought some turnips from Wyatt a couple of weeks ago, not something I would normally buy or grow, but like all of the Revival Market Garden Fair, they just looked so perfect and appetising. That got me thinking about how I like to grow things that might be a bit different than the normal varieties we find in the shops. I'm a big fan of growing different coloured varieties of plants like purple beans, rainbow carrots, yellow chilies, and I wonder if that's a common trait of home gardeners, the desire to try something new or unusual. But now let's listen to my conversation with this week's feature guest, Wyatt Dooley. Saturday mornings at the market, one of the stalls I like to check out is the Revival Market Garden Stall. Uh, there's some really interesting and beautiful produce there. Wyatt Dooley from Revival Market Gardens joining me today. Uh, good morning, Wyatt. How are you? Hey, good morning, Chris. I'm excellent. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Another day in paradise. Yeah, it's a beautiful day today. Um, so I'm. I was interested to know, you know, your how you got into market gardening. I'm presuming that you were a gardener before taking that that step. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, I guess put it into context. I'm now 32 years old, and for some reason, I just got obsessed with plants when I was about seven, eight years old. And I think that was largely to do with my grandma who had a, a massive veggie garden um, and it had everything from strawberries to raspberries and, um, you know, all the veggies you could eat. I, I would make myself sick off of, um, you know, eating her tomatoes straight out of the garden, but then also had trees like pomegranates, peaches, plums, you know, walnuts, blackberries. I had everything. And so I just really enjoyed being in that as well as we had a friend who got really interested in growing carnivorous plants. And for those of you that don't know what a carnivorous plant is, they classically eat bugs. Maybe the most famous example is the Venus flytrap, which um, I think as a kid you can readily get obsessed with because they're so magical. Um, and so pretty soon I had my family taking me to garden centers on the weekends um, where I could you know, look at all the different plants and hopefully like take home a plant or take home some seeds or something like that to experiment with. And so, yeah, I've just been really interested in plants since I was a little kid. And that kind of led me to, I guess, originally wanting to be a botanist. And I had this dream to be, you know, a botanist in, say, the Amazon, um, in, in a canopy, like somewhere with all the magical birds and insects and wildlife studying plants, you know, for medicinal purposes or um, discovering new species. But I'm kind of glad I didn't go that way because I imagine I would have gotten absolutely destroyed by you know mosquitoes and um, everything else that you know wants to eat you I guess. 
So you, from your interest in kind of growing at home, I mean, how did that, you know, and you didn't go into botany, so how did you kind of continue that interest in gardening? How did that develop? Um, I guess because, like, I had my family that really supported that as well as a lot of, like, I grew up with a lot of friends that had, you know, extensive home gardens. Um, I just found it such a, a magical thing to go home, you know, get my hands in the soil. It feels really good. Um, you know, I think genetically we're meant to have our hands in the soil, um, you know, with all the many, many years of um, agriculture, like in our DNA, um, as well as like being able to harvest that and share it with others. Um, there's something that's quite special about, you know, giving something to someone or cooking, you know, something for someone that you've grown. So I think that kind of started evolving. And then... Um, I had a background in ecology where I worked as a consultant, um, environmental consultant for a long time, which eventually brought me to New Zealand. And um, I started working for Nati Fatua Orake in the city with some of their environmental projects, one of which was Porewa Garden, which is a large community garden, and really heavily got involved in that. Um, and so I think just kind of all these different things kind of correlated and came together and then um, I was super interested in starting my own business on the island I got kind of over commuting um, and I was like well what's something that I can do with plants that not really anybody else is doing on the island and I was like well we don't need another landscaping company um, there's already you know several garden centers on the island um, there's already nurseries on the island um, nobody's really growing food on the island except for the vineyards and the olive groves and then some of the restaurants that have you know their own small veggie garden but no one's actually doing it at scale and I really like a challenge and so I was like well let's give it a go let's you know make it happen and I have lots of friends back home that own market gardens um, my good friend mentor Jody Roebuck who's from Taranaki um, he took me on as an apprentice for several months so I, I learned a lot from him um, so I'm really thankful for him and um, a lot of things had to happen where the stars had to align to actually start this so there's something called the scale of permanence um, and those of you who are interested in permaculture this is one of um, I guess you would say one of the key principles it comes from a guy named P.A. Yeomans out of Australia and the scale of permanence is essentially the way that you look at a site to determine what is the best way, um, I guess, to design your garden, your orchard, your house, or whatever. Um, so that it could be, you know, the form of guilds in permaculture, but um, it starts at a higher level in terms of looking at the climate. So you can't really change climate. So we're quite lucky on Waiheke that the climate is... Um, you know, pretty good year round. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. And then you have to look at the things like landform. You can't really change your landform. So you need to have a site where it's optimum for growing. So you don't really want to be on the south side of, you know, a hill or something like that. You're not going to get as much light. And then you have to look at access and look at water, um, look at soil. And so there's all these, all this criteria. And so I took that. And when I was looking for a place to lease on Waiheke, I was like, well, actually there's very few areas on Waiheke that would match this 
um, at the scale that I want to do it at. And um, I, I met Kelly and Pete from Sunshine Valley and um, developed a, an amazing relationship with them who I now uh, lease land from. And it met a lot of that criteria, um, which I guess has enabled me to you know, take a step forward into growing um, more commercially on the island. There must also be, you know, when you look at land, um, you know, a lot of a lot of home gardeners will kind of think, oh yeah, it's nice to have some tomatoes in yeah. the summer, and you know, I want some lettuce for the for the salad, and you know, and some people get a you know get a bit more ambitious and kind of you know think about you know having kind of crops throughout the year, but you kind of having to think about a, a piece of land and how that is producing constantly, and and really thoroughly right yeah so the challenge transitioning from growing a home garden to growing i guess more commercially is that you're now dependent on it as your income for one thing but then also you start to develop a clientele base that are somewhat dependent on you for food on a weekly basis and then if you're not consistent with that then you potentially might lose that that person that comes to you at the market weekly whereas in the home garden you could be like well like actually you know this crop didn't do very well i guess i can go to countdown or i can go to island grocer or another um place on the island and go get it whereas i guess at the commercial scale um you're like oh wow this whole bed of something died there not only goes my income you know for the week uh but also i'm potentially letting someone down who's really looking forward to that so i guess there's a little bit more at stake um when you're growing at a larger scale and commercially and I, I wonder as well, I mean, you know, I think to my, my father's garden when I was a kid, and I mean, there, a lot of our backyard was, was garden, and it was a, a pretty important part, I think, for a lot of, you know, suburban families of the, the weekly, you know, the weekly groceries came from, from the backyard, and, uh, and maybe we've moved, you know, there's still people who do that, obviously, but maybe there's been more of a move to a kind of a, a more of a kind of a hobby approach to, to home gardening. Yeah. And I think like, I always bring up an interesting statistic from the Smithsonian um, museum out of the States where, and granted things have changed drastically since then. Most of the world's population lives in a city. So people don't have as much space in their backyard, but in world war two, I think, 40%, they estimate 40% of produce was grown in people's backyards during World War II in the States, which is a significant amount of food if you think about it. Um, whereas I think we've become quite uh, maybe complacent in that we can go to the supermarket and we can buy stuff um, year round and it doesn't have to be in season. So if we want, you know, a pineapple, yeah, maybe we'll charge like, you know, we'll have to pay a lot for it, but we can get a pineapple probably year round. Whereas uh, realistically, um, you know, they're only maybe viable, you know, part of the year in New Zealand, for example, if you were actually to grow them here. So I think the ease of access in terms of food, as well as the lack of time, um, you know, has made it quite challenging for people to actually spend time in the garden, as well as, like you said, it's become more of a hobby rather than a necessity. So you'd had, you know, you said you'd had some community garden experience, mm. but what was, you know, and I think a lot of people who are home gardeners increasingly now are thinking about how they scale up, mm. you know, how they make this a more uh, integral part of the, of their their food at home. And what were some of the the things that you needed to consider in making that leap? 
So I guess probably, I think there's a few different things, things that I think are quite paramount and it kind of falls back into that scale of permanence idea that you need the you need the land area or the right i guess topography and you need some amount of access like it's no good if your garden's um i guess down in the bottom of a valley or something like that where it's a little bit harder to get to you know i'd be looking at for example going into um, one of the amazing community gardens on the island where it's a bit more accessible you're more likely to be there there's more eyes on it and stuff but then you also have to think about water and um, you have to think about the soil, especially on Waiheke being um, a very high, um, I guess you would say, extremely high in clay versus um, silt um, and sand. Um, so in the, in the winter, it's extremely wet and doesn't drain very well. And in the summer, it goes into a brick, essentially. Um, and so developing that soil, building that compost, having um, ways of conserving water um, or more access to water is extremely important when it comes to um, you know scaling up your home garden so I think those things are pretty foundational in terms of you need those before you can even think about expanding when you've um, approached crop selection the kinds of things that you're growing you know you'll be taken into account you know those conditions you just talked about um, but are there particular things that you've found are really well suited to Waiheke? Yeah, so I think, and I th- and I think um, Waiheke Herb Spread has taken this approach that a lot of the things that do well on Waiheke suit are from the Mediterranean climate. So say um, basil or um, tomatoes, for example, they do well um, with less water and potentially more sun and do okay in poor more poor soil conditions um but you know it really comes down to trial and error um the things that i'm growing um are potentially different to what a home gardener would grow from i guess a scalability standpoint as well as there's a lot of trialing in terms of just varieties you would be amazed in terms of how much variety changes um in terms of taste and its ability to grow on waiheke so for i've been telling people i've probably trialed 10 different varieties of radish and some radishes they don't even form a bulb on them or some of them are so spicy and so hot they're inedible but then you trial another variety and it grows beautifully and it tastes sweet and it tastes like what you would imagine a radish should taste like so it's really just trialing um different varieties you know different lettuces i've trialed probably 15 varieties of lettuces and out of those 15 varieties i found three varieties that grow well for me whereas someone else um just across you know the water in auckland might find that 10 of those varieties grow really really well for them so a lot of it is experimentation if um if you were to make a massive fortune off microgreens and retire at 33 <laughs> and you know you were back to kind of pottering around in your home garden are there things you've learned from market gardening that you would take back to your home garden that you didn't do before 100 percent um i th- well once again it's what size are we talking about too because 
if we're talking about you know growing a lot of food to preserve for the like throughout the year i would be looking at keeping a lot of the a lot of the tools that i'm using right now because it comes down to efficiency so like for example i can sow something with some of my um direct seeding tools in 30 seconds and have perfect spacing you know at five centimeters per plant um, versus hand sowing individual seeds and then it coming back and pricking them out later um, but also there are things that i would take from the market garden and, and apply directly to the home garden for example i'm a huge fan of using insect nets um, and these cloche frames that are made in new zealand called um, red path cloche frames and essentially the insect net and those cloche frames when combined together protects your crop from insects it protects them from wind protects them from rain it protects them from birds um, so i call it my crop insurance because like for example last year growing through the cyclones um, i didn't lose any crops um, to rain or wind um, and i was able to harvest the same crops every single week um, without losing anything um, so, oh, and not to mention, or, um, I can't forget to mention that it also conserves on water too. Just having that little bit of netting, um, over a crop, uh, protects your crops from drying out too fast in the wind and the sun. So I use far less water just by having a net over them. You're, you know, you're very in tune with that kind of those Waiheke conditions, mm. Um, you know, and you've you've talked about it. Our soil here, and which is pretty poor soil generally, right? Mm, and, for growing, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and 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 lack of water, and you know, and we, uh, you know, the climate is different even in, in main than mainland Auckland. I mean, w- what are the kind of things that you've had to change from, say, your community garden experience in town to you know to really kind of getting the most out of the conditions here? Um, yeah, really good question. I think I've had to change pretty much everything. (laughs) I mean, like a lot of those principles that I use at the community garden, um, you know, are applicable to some degree in terms of what I'm doing here. But, um, I think I naively, when I started was like, yeah, I've been growing like for a long time, have, you know, experience working on other market gardens, um, you know, been growing stuff all my life. Like, like, you know going to be easy and um that was definitely a bit of a slap in the face in terms of actually you know the soil is super challenging here um the weather extremes can be a bit challenging um you know water is always on the back of your mind um yeah there's just so many variables that changed and yeah just made it yeah, just definitely a reality, if that makes sense. It's, it's not easy. What's the? How do you strike the balance between changing what you grow to meet the conditions and changing the conditions, like the soil and so on, to grow what you want? I would say I change what I grow to the soil conditions more so than the other way around. And once again, it comes to the varieties. And for example, I love growing this this beetroot called Cylindra. And it essentially, if you can imagine a regular beetroot that's say um, the size of a tennis ball, it primarily grows in the ground and 
I would say maybe 50% of it grows down into the soil. Due to um, Waiheke's clay soil, I found that a round normal beetroot that you buy from the supermarket doesn't like to push through the hard clay, especially if the ground's a bit dry. Whereas cylindra is quite interesting because probably 80% of that beetroot grows straight out of the ground like a like a sausage almost. And so just by changing the variety, I was able to grow, f- I think, four to five times the amount of beetroot in the same area just by changing the variety and adapting to the soil conditions, if that makes sense. So it's it, yeah, the... I mean, once again, the variety plays a huge part. I mean, this stuff's gold for the home gardener. It's one of the greatest beetroots. Have you got a, uh, another couple of tips of, of varieties or plants that you've found particularly well adapted to Waiheke? I think the beetroot is probably, that was the biggest breakthrough that I had because I knew beetroot would be popular um, at the market, but... It just wasn't growing well until I changed that variety. Um, Once again, um, just grabbing a bunch of different varieties um, off the shelf, you'll find that they all taste different um, and they all grow different in our soil. And that's, you know, largely what I'm, I I would say that's largely this first year is just trialing stuff. Um, But in terms of other breakthroughs, I think that's probably the biggest one I've had, yeah. Do you have kind of, I mean, uh, you know, thinking about the, the, the changing climate, but also, you know, things seem to be getting warmer and, and mm. so on. I mean, are you kind of thinking to a time where you might be growing, you know, pineapples, some of those, <laughs> more, some of those more tropical foods? Um, be super interested in growing other things. Um, I guess I have a, a very specific crop selection um criteria and so uh, for those of you that have seen me at the market you'll probably see or you'll notice that i have less than 10 things probably 10 varieties on the table right now and that's largely because it has to meet a certain criteria for me in terms of i have to produce enough off of a bed that it makes it worthwhile for me to grow it and it has to be done in a certain amount of time um and so with the variability in climate and things warming up, that'll probably have to influence my crop selection um, in the future. Um, but other than playing with like, you know, growing pineapple or other tropical varieties, I don't know if I would be able to grow it at the scale um, that would enable me to, you know, I guess financially make money off of it if that makes sense uh, that that criteria that you talk about for you know having to produce within a certain amount of time out of yeah. a certain area has meant some some foods that perhaps people haven't seen before i'm thinking about like some turnips i got yeah, off you yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks ago you know yeah it, it's quite a funny one um i guess just in turnips itself i've had multiple people when i first started growing they're like you're gonna grow turnips like that's that's animal fodder like who wants to eat a turnip you're not going to sell a single bunch of turnips and i was like well we'll give it a go see what happens um funny enough it's the first thing that sells out at the market um which i always crack up about that you know you never know until you try um but i guess there's some other unique varieties that i grow um like and it's always trialing like for example i'm starting to dial in carrots which you would think would be 
really hard to grow in Waiheke because of the clay soil and they don't like breaking through um, that clay. But once again, it comes down to the variety. It comes down to timing. So a big part of gardening, whether you're growing at my scale or you're a home garter, gardener, is that timing is key. And so like an extreme example would be like it's storming right now. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to try to mow the lawn in like a cyclone or something like that. It's probably better if you did that two days before the cyclone or you wait till it, you know, passes and it dries out again. So in the context of a home garden, um, you know, when the soil, like when it's just rained, it's probably going to be better to weed. It's probably going to be better to plant things. You're going to get less transplant shock. Um, when the soil's moist, it's going to be easier to grow those root vegetables because the soil is going to be a bit softer than say now where we haven't had any rain and the grounds, you know, solid as concrete. So timing is a, is an extremely important aspect, whether you're growing at my scale or you're in the home garden. And what are you thinking about planting as we start to move in towards autumn and winter? So I'll start doing, um, a lot of. I guess the cooler season varieties. I'm really interested in trialing um, some different varieties of bok choy um, this winter um, or autumn winter um, spinach. Um, I'd love to do different brassicas, for example, um, broccolis and cabbage. Um, and then I'll also continue growing the same varieties that I'm growing now. So um, to go back to that crop criteria, ideally I'm growing a particular thing um, as many seasons as I can out of the year and that's to provide consistency um, for the client for example so that way they can come to me 52 weeks out of the year and know that I will have you know um, beetroot know that I have coriander know that I have um, a salad mix know that I have uh, pea shoots or turnips or radishes I recommend checking out the Revival Market Garden Instagram account. Wyatt shares amazing photos and it's also a really great way to find out what he's growing and selling at the market where you'll find him every Saturday morning. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for Can You Dig It, you can email me at chris at waihekiradio.org.nz. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Waiheke Can You Dig It? Tips and info for the home gardener on Waiheke Island, brought to you by Waiheke Radio.